Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Future Imperfect. I'm your host, Admiral Phillips, and joining me is Captain Dodd. That's right, it is I, your captain, though I'm not in charge of this boat, as I'm just, well, I'm the second in command here. And that's, you know what, I'm kind of okay with that. So, last time on Future Inverse, we had a chance to talk about the ships of Starfleet, talking about their designs, and also kind of touching on some of the designs that uh, may be coming up in the future of actual space travel. Who's to say we won't get our own NX series at some point, but... We kind of venture away from the technology of Starfleet. Well, not not directly. We're actually talking about a piece of technology who also happens to be one of my favorite characters on the show. We're going to be talking about the EMH Mark One, a.k.a. Bob. Or, no, Joe, I think it was. Joe, the doctor. Joe, the doctor from Star Trek Voyager, but also has made appearances in DS9. And also... Um, First Contact. First Contact, and also a cameo appearance in Star Trek Renegades as Dr. Louis Zimmerman. So, Robert Picardo is one of the character actors who has a rather prolific career in Hollywood. He's been on China Beach, he's been on The Wonder Years, he's done stuff on CSI, I think he was on Smallville, he also did bits, um, he was Commander Woolsey on Stargate and Stargate Atlantis which I haven't gotten to his character just yet because I'm going through Stargate sequentially right now. So, Well, now he's oh. actually a, uh, a board member on the Planetary Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what does that entail exactly? Uh, it's, it's basically... It, it has to do with... And I'm not, like, 100% sure, but it has to do with, like, space exploration and, and kind of the great beyond and... Uh, various things going on with NASA and with with new scientists, and it, it's all stuff surrounding space. Bill Nye is like the chairman of it, um, which is kind of interesting. And so, you know, they've they've got a lot of uh, interviews with people with their doctorates and uh, basically talking about like you know possibilities in spacecraft and and you know new satellites and, and just a lot of things surrounding space mm -hmm. uh and he's he's kind of the one of the the voices and one of the uh um the guys that's doing like the newsletter and he's doing some of the video interviews and 
so a, a lot of it is 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 him kind of diving in there uh using his experience and uh, uh stuff with star trek and and beyond kind of in in the process which i gotta say robert picardo certainly is a guy who wears many hats he's uh Obviously been an actor for quite some time. He's quite the accomplished musician, when it, especially when it comes to his singing. That actually is him, from what I can tell, on the episodes of Star Trek. Um, he's sung opera before. He's done the Star Trek The Music Tour with John Delancey, where he would narrate parts of Star Trek's history, stuff like that, which I think is rather interesting. Always been a big fan of Robert Picardo's voice. I've actually interviewed him before uh, on Future Imperfect. Actually... During that interview, if you go back and listen to it, you can actually hear Bill Nye come into the house uh, during the interview. And you hear uh, Robert go, oh, hey, Bill. And uh, I'm so hesitant to call him Bob Picardo because I feel like that's what his friends call him. But uh, Bob's like, oh, Mike, hold on. Bill Nye just walked in. (laughs) And I was like, holy shit, really? That's so cool. Um so I kind of fanboyed out there for like 30 seconds. Um, but so the EMH character is yet another artificial life form in the proud tradition of Lieutenant Commander Data. But you also see other characters in Star Trek like Professor Moriarty, multiple holodeck characters like Vic Fontaine, and just other People that typically become character of the week or monster of the week, if you will. There have been entire races of photonic beings. I know there was an episode of Star Trek Voyager called Bride of Chaotica, where there was an entire photonic realm, and they assumed the Doctor was another photonic being like them, as he was the president of Earth, so to speak. Stuff like that. And the EMH began life as a new piece of Star of Starfleet technology that was being installed upon most new Federation ships, such as the new Intrepid class and Voyager and the Sovereign class. And the Mark I was notable for its not very nice bedside manner, which is based upon Lewis Zimmerman's uh, personality. And eventually they were uh, relegated to mining dilithium because it was uh, deemed too dangerous and they were considered inferior like their programs that freak out and everything like that. But um, over the course of Voyager's seven years towards home, you eventually saw you eventually saw the EMH to develop a personality to develop friendships, complex relationships, and even start to develop romantic and emotional feelings for certain members of the Voyager crew, most notably people like Seven of Nine. You saw the mentorship he had with Kess, stuff like that. Um, difficult to quantify his relationship with Tom Paris, but you could say he was friends with everybody on the command staff in some capacity. Um, but you'd see him spend a lot of his social time with Seven of Nine, stuff like that. And, um, yeah, one of the interesting things is that the EMH Mark One, uh, there there have been multiple versions of the EMH uh, according to Zimmerman, and the Mark Two actually gets to work with, uh, with uh, with Joe here, and uh, in a particular episode of Voyager where they're trying to to uh, release a Starfleet vessel from Romulan control. Which that Mark II was played by Andy Dick. Uh, yep. 
in a fantastically coherent performance, which I kind of thought how they thought Andy Dick is what Starfleet's future looks like. Um, but it took the doctor to uh, kind of be like, snap out of this. I've, I've kind of done stuff like this before. <laughs> yeah, which which is kind of neat. And that's also the first time we see the Prometheus class uh, in, in Star Trek. That's also one of the ships we talked about uh, last week here on the show. Um, I think that episode was called Message in a Bottle, I think. I think so. Um, but yeah, you would see th- uh, the EMH sort of grow because as the Star Trek writers um, tried to figure out, okay, so we have this character, what can we do with them? And eventually, in I think the third season, it gets his mobile emitter. He gets it from the 29th century, though he gets it in 1999. So, of course, time travel, because why not? It's Star Trek. Um, yeah, it was it was awesome when when he got that in uh, Future's End Part Two. The the guy from from what was it ninety six Henry Starling installed yeah, the emitter tra- that he got from the Aeon time ship. I'm trying to remember the name of the actor Ed Bigley Jr. That's it. I always remember him because there's this great bit on The Simpsons where he had a motorcycle powered by his own sense of self satisfaction. Which I always thought that was a really clever gag, um, but the EMH would become a person over the course of these seven years, and you really start to see him start to take an interest in his personal development. There's an episode where he um, creates his own holographic family, and then Bolana starts to twerk with the program. Not twerk, uh, tweak rather. Not twerk. I knew I had the right. <laughs> she twerked word. the por- program, and the doctor was astounded. Yeah, she just shook her ass. It was amazing. Um, and the program started to behave rather than than this idyllic leave it to Beaver nineteen fifties style family. It was like, oh yes, dear, and the very new nuclear family. Problems started to show up. The son would be disobedient. The daughter would be kind of a brat. The wife would be. I am my own woman. I'm going to go do my own thing. And he was kind of left there thinking, well, guys, this is supposed to be my fantasy. And they're like, no, families are not fantasy. Families are work. And if you want them to work, good things and bad things will happen. And a great part of that episode is where it sucks to say, but his um, his little girl dies. She gets a head injury playing Parisi Square and the doctor has to calm her down as she cannot be saved. The medical science is not advanced enough. He can't save her. And she's scared to die. And he has to guide her into that process. Uh, there's another episode called Latent Image where the doctor's memory has been changed. Where he has to choose between saving two different crew members, Ensign Jatal and Ensign Harry Kim. And he chooses to save his friend. And it literally drives him nuts with guilt. To the point where his program starts ending up in this feedback loop and he starts just going nuts. And you start to see him wrestle with real emotions like remorse, guilt, survivor's guilt is one of the great things um, you see. And Robert Picardo doesn't get enough credit as an actor, though he was though he was nominated for an Emmy for his work. On the Wonder Years, I think he should have been nominated for some of the stuff he did in Voyager. Oh, yeah. Like, there's uh, some great moments in Someone to Watch Over Me, 
where he's teaching seven of nine to be human, which is, I think, a great kind of parallel. Like the machine teaching the other machine how to act like a person or how to be a person. And you can tell he's falling in love with her. And she says something along the lines, I find no suitable mates on this ship. And he very respectfully respects those wishes and says, oh, well, okay, and backs away. Doesn't try to change her mind, doesn't keep trying to pressure her or anything, just politely accepts it. And that's a great teachable moment. I actually watched this video today that was talking about romantic tropes. And uh, you'd be surprised how many times the – you know what? That's a different discussion for a different day. We can talk about <laughs> sexuality and masculinity and toxic masculinity in Star Trek an entire episode, but I'm not the guy to talk about that because nope. I don't write those essays. I'm not that smart. Um, but anyway, no. There's just That's a really great moment in just how human the Doctor has become where he respects her boundaries like that. But the fact that you can see he's pained for it. He's like... I really love her, but I can't do a thing about it. Well, and it's so just I like it's just like when he has has word that Zimmerman is dying. Yeah, he wants to go save his he, quote unquote dad. Yeah, he wants to go save him, and he's like, "I just want you to be proud of me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm your your hologram, and I've been running concurrently for seven years, and you know, it was never meant to run for more than fifteen hundred hours, and." And and Zimmerman's like, you're just an old antique. You're a piece of junk. I'm gonna send you to the mining colony. And then you know comes to figure out that, you know, that this Mark One was not only able to save Zimmerman, but Zimmerman was able to save the Mark One with some enhancements. Yeah, like the, like like there's some really cool moments with 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 the Mark One where you really once again you get to see these moments where. He develops these fantastic new surgeries where he basically cures th- the phage from the Vidians in like the first two seasons of Voyager. They're supposed to be the big baddies. You only ever see them show up a few times. Um, but still, you get to see him do that. You see him perform a surgery with seven of nine's nanoprobes, which brings Neelix back from the dead. The dead. And another episode, he develops holographic lungs. Well, and then and then there's another episode entirely where where Paris goes warp ten into transwarp and turns into oh, some Christ. kind of a lizard thing, and Janeway turns into one too, and he somehow reverse engineers them back into humans. You know what? The less we talk about that that episode, the better. <laughs> I, I was so holy confused. Christ. <laughs> I, I remember that as a kid, like or as a young young adult, and then and then watching it again recently, just because I wanted to see. You know, and the, there was no explanation. The doctor just fixed them, and so that just says that the EMH is awesome. <laughs> I know there was there was a meme going around where somebody submitted a paper to a scientific journal based upon that episode, and it actually got accepted. <laughs> I can't remember the details of it, but look that up if you know what I'm talking about. And there was a poll recently on Star Trek dot uh, com saying which doctor would you trust the most with your well being. At the low end of the totem pole was Dr. Culver from Star Trek Discovery. Well, we really but, didn't get to see him much. Yeah, and he really so, didn't do a lot. And so nobody really knew much about him other than the fact that uh, he died. And he was he the got, most intelligent one on the ship. 
he got he had really good bedside manner. I guess if you had to give him anything, yeah, he um, he, he was about on par with like Doctor Crusher. Uh, I think Doctor Crusher came in third. Doctor Flox was down near the bottom as well. Bashir Bone, must have been I th- below. I don't think he was actually on that. I, I I know it was the EMH Bashir or the EMH Crusher McCoy F- McCoy Flox and Culber. Yeah, I don't think Bashir was on that list at all. Which is but, a travesty. What, yeah, because the EMH came in at thirty six percent. I thought the he EMH came in won at number and one. then McCoy was second. I think so, yeah. I But I know the EMH definitely won that poll for yeah. sure, which is a testament to how powerful a piece of technology he really is. I was watching another episode tonight um, where the episode was called Living Witness, where he has to basically prove he's not a war criminal and this entire species war has not been caused by Voyager. And it's him basically fighting for his life. But he also makes a moment of self-sacrifice where he says, look, if you delete me, then your person still stays a martyr. I don't have to undo 700 years of history. It's the right thing to do. Then the person who was with him was like, no, 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 you can't do that. You need to set the record straight. I'm like, yeah, but not at the expense of your planet's history. And then it's revealed um, just a few moments later that this is indeed a flashback even further that this EMH actually did help set the record straight with his testimony set, setting the table for these two species to start getting along and eventually this EMH left this planet looking for Voyager's way home almost a thousand years later but he did it which is, I think, kind of cool. So there's another EMH heading towards the Alpha Quadrant. Very, very slowly, but still. Which um, is a bit insane. Which is a bit nuts, because you have to wonder, is Starfleet even still around at that point? Which I guess the Borg didn't overrun the Delta Quadrant if this planet well, survived. If, if you're going by Star Trek Online timetable, mm-hmm. they're all still around. <laughs> yeah. Um. But no, uh, one of the, one of the interesting things is is that he was yes we had the holodeck yes we had holographic people but we didn't have uh, actually useful fully cognitive sentient versions of holographic technology and with this this doctor this particular version he evolved beyond his original programming just like data. Uh, in that sense, although he was more, I would argue, more human than Data was, even towards the end. Uh, yeah, I would, I would totally argue because Data was limited by hardware. The Doctor's software was, in theory, only limited by memory capacity. So his program could be rewritten and expanded almost infinitely. I guess. I guess you, depending on how much stuff he could shove into his memory buffers or whatever the hell they called it. Well, and he especially with the mobile upgrade. emitter. Yeah, exactly. He had more chances to be upgraded as opposed to data. He's built. That's it. Sure, he could probably modify himself, but there's probably an upper limit to that. Well, the um, the, the the interesting thing is, and this is from the Star Trek Online uh, information, is that uh, in the timeline of that, the Doctor filed a lawsuit against Starfleet to retain control of his mobile emitter. Uh, mm-hmm. leading to a movement lobbying to establish civil rights for sentient artificial light forms, including holographic uh, photonic projections and androids. 
so like the Soong Foundation develops a mobile emitter for civilian use, and photonic life forms equipped with mobile emitters serve on away teams. Alongside biological beings, uh, the players uh, can obtain these in the game, which is which is kind of cool. I myself have a photonic engineer. That's cool. On on my crew, and you cannot make him look like the EMH. Uh, you can actually pick him up and is uh, one of your duty officers in the game uh, by playing a, a mission in the Delta Quadrant. Uh, so, like, if somebody uses a hypo spray, you have the chance that the doctor will beam down and start healing your crew. That's cool. Uh, That's really cool. And, and the nice thing is, is when you're when you're on an away team and you're photonic uh, engineer, or I mean, you can get a science officer too, which is ungodly expensive in the game. And then the the tactical, you have to the only way you can get it is by like lobby crystal, which is stupid, ridiculously expensive, and. Uh, uh, so like the 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 engineer is the only one I can get in game for the most part, but it it has a mobile emitter. So when like he's uh, out of HP, uh, the mobile emitter is on the ground wherever he fell, and it's like sending off like a, a shockwave symbol or a signal so that it it flags you to go resurrect him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's immune to like anything the Borg really dish out, which is kind of cool. That's really neat, actually. So it's 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 definitely something really cool with uh, continuing through Star Trek Online and getting some of this, uh, some of those type of characters. But I love how the EMH, uh, due to his his story that he kind of crafted of uh, the ECH, you know, designing a, a backup captain protocol. Uh, I, I love how he was able to possess the information from all the major Starfleet strategic and uh, tactical databases to where he could uh, plan for controlling the ship and, and have basic engineering skills to assess damage and uh, uh, to interact with the computer and any console and, and just kind of take command should the, the captain be incapacitated. Yeah, it's well, once again showing Starfleet's technological forward thinking but also the doctor evolving as a person as a program um yeah i mean i think it's neat just having access to all that information although he could use a little work on his personality when he's using the ech protocols because he's like yeah i'll kick your ass stuff like that he's a little shaky but that's his personality i'm sure that could be ironed out over time um with i guess a bravery sub routine or so all, all he something. needs to do is is download himself some some Picard some Cisco some Kirk and some Janeway and then he's good. Exactly. Once again, once he gets the bugs ironed out out of his ECH uh, protocol, he'd be all ready to rock and roll. But yeah, I mean, there's so many things the the Doctor accomplished, and he wasn't the only holographic. Uh, once again, character on the show. Like I said, we did see the Mark II. You saw Vic Fontaine on DS9, who was like this Vegas lounge singer. And I'd argue he was bordering on sentience. Yeah, I because think, he, he answered a lot of stuff for Quark and everybody else that went in there with a problem. Yeah, I mean, he was probably a proto-doctor, so to speak. Like I, I would almost program. say he was like their psychiatrist. Yeah. Like, kind of like, like their yeah. counselor Troy, but mixed with Dr. McCoy in a sense. Yeah, I mean, there's so many questions there. Like, was Vic truly self-aware like 
the doctor? Did he have that sense of self-determination? Would he improve his program if given the chance? And I guess DS9 didn't really delve into these questions too much because they were focused on the other characters and, and the Dominion War. But you ha- have to kind of wonder, with Starfleet's holodeck technology, what were the upper limits of it? Because we saw with the Enterprise-D and the Galaxy-class starship, Professor Moriarty became sentient. And they said, you can live in the hollow computers for as long as you want. However, that being said, the longer hologram runs, it degrades over time. So that's why the EMH was only designed to run 1,500 hours. So is Professor Moriarty trapped in a holodeck program that's slowly corroding around him or what? Uh, I think he, uh, he went down with the ship in Generations. So, yeah, I mean, that's another crew member lost, or not crew member, but another person lost on the Enterprise, which I think that's kind of fascinating to think about. With enough technological know-how, you can literally create life. I mean, you saw the Doctor become a holographic author. He's literally creating life in there when you really think about it. So it poses ethical questions as well. Um and it makes you wonder if if some of the characters couldn't be replicated at some point, like if they were to uh, have like a brain dump into a hologram and and essentially live forever. Uh, because uh, remember Barkley uh, from TNG who came over to, to Voyager uh, made himself a copy onto like just a partial copy of what he needed to essentially help Voyager and made sent his uh, program. To, yeah. to Voyager to be a, a holographic version of himself, although it was corrupted by the Ferengi, it was still, uh, it was it was still a a Barclay. Yeah, it was based upon his like kind of his brainwaves, his thought patterns, stuff like that. So, I'd like to know more about how holographic programming works, how you create these things if you can base them off of real people by using real biological data because that brings in another question which kind of going off topic here but we've talked about this before on this week in geek we've talked about virtual immortality and brain taping how much memory does the human brain actually take up can you copy data like that if you could could your consciousness quote unquote live on as a uh, a hologram does that hologram have rights and as you just mentioned a few minutes ago the doctor and other artificial life forms petitioned or sued starfleet into basically giving them rights which is once again you look at the episode of tng measure of a man is data um alive or not stuff like that and See, i would almost argue that they're all alive to some capacity because uh he he outlived his programming and even even the mark ii i would argue once i mean to me i've always viewed artificial life when it can realize and be fearful of its own demise or once it says the phrase i think therefore i am when it says the phrase i it is no longer just simply a tool it has become something else entirely and the doctor has definitely proven that by adding daydreaming routines by adding singing artistic expression 
the fact that he has fallen in love and felt loss. It's not just emotion where data was literally emotion contained on a piece of hardware. This is a piece of every evolving software. And I think that's where the doctor is in essence. I really do believe, and I will fight me on this one. I think the doctor's a better character than data. Yeah, I, 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 I would argue that as well. I, I enjoy his character, and while I do enjoy Data, I, I find the Doctor, even though his bedside manner sucks, he's he's still uh, he's still just a member of the crew, but he's also a lot more than that, and, and willing to put himself into into predicaments and and uh, that he doesn't necessarily need to do. And the fact that when he got the mobile emitter, he was a lot more involved with away missions he was a lot more involved with uh just random things around the ship i mean he was he was a lot more mobile and it it was just a a lot better storytelling with his character well to even expand upon that to kind of bring in actors into this i think robert picardo is a better actor than brent spiner because i think you saw a lot more range of emotion and and i know to say data has emotion I mean, there's certain things as an actor, and I know Data's soon type android is programmed to feign emotion or to act as human as it can. But, you know, he is a man portraying a robot at the end of the day, whereas Robert Picardo portraying this being learning how to be human has a little bit more leeway. And there were genuine moments during the original watch of the series, especially where um, – where he loses his his um, his daughter, or where Seven breaks his heart, those were moments that tugs at the heartstrings genuinely. The only moment I can think of with Data is where he lost his daughter Lol, and maybe one or two other moments, especially where Lore tells Data that he loves him. Maybe that, but I'd argue there were more Picardo moments than Brent Spiner moments. And they both had seven seasons. So you can't tell me one had more time over the other. In fact, I'm pretty sure Voyager only had 15 episodes in its first season. So I'm pretty sure TNG ran the full 24, but I'm not 100% sure of that. So don't quote me on that. So I think just the strength of personality, the strength of personal charisma from Robert Picardo lent a lot more to the role of the the doctor. In fact, I will even go on record. I think he's in the top three characters of Star Trek of all time. I really believe that. I think um, uh, Avery Brooks as Benjamin Sisko, uh, Patrick Stewart, Robert Picardo. Um, trying to think who else really had a powerful role i think jerry ryan despite her supposedly acting emotionless as borg has some genuine moments too uh there's one episode where the doctor takes over seven's body and jerry ryan has to take on robert picardo's mannerisms and everything else and you see her having some wonderful fun with it it's hilarious watching her get drunk yeah i was gonna mention that one when uh when they had the delta flyer and had to, uh, they, they were trying out the, sl- the quantum slipstream drive. Yeah, I mean, there's moments like that where you really see the character 
shine and through other people it shines as well there's even another episode where the doctor's body is taken over by the sentient warhead like this missile that thinks it's on a mission to go destroy this planet but it turns out these people are long dead the mission's been canceled and robert picardo has to play this completely different character but inhabiting the same skin and that's something you saw Brent Spiner play lore and Data. You might see him have a little bit of fun with Data here and there, but not to the same range as you see with Picardo. Picardo was a lot funnier, I think. Data played it a lot more straight at times. Well, and, and I, I don't fault Spiner or, or Data for that, uh, just because that's how their characters were written. However, I will say that Picardo had the ability to show his range with his character, whereas Spiner did not. And uh, Picardo, I kind of saw as like this generation's Dr. McCoy. Yeah. Kind of yeah. gruff, sarcastic, and, and able to get the job done no matter what and figure out a, uh, whatever the problem is. But, you know, he's going to give you some lip for it at the same time. I think the thing I, I like about the doctor is he may not be the, the easiest person to be your friend, but he'll be the person that will never hold back the truth from you because he is that doctor. He's in a position of authority. But he also understands people. Which I almost wonder if that's the same thing as what happened uh, if, if he got that uh, mannerism from McCoy. Because McCoy was still alive that we knew of in the 24th century. Yeah. Yeah, like, and that's maybe something that they wrote in, in into the character. Because not only did the doctor have to fulfill medical roles, he would have to fulfill counseling as well. Because that's something that only was ever addressed on Star Trek TNG was a full-time ship's counselor. You didn't hear that about DS9. You didn't, outside of Vic Fontaine, you didn't hear that on Voyager. The doctor may prescribe you like, hey, you're having a hard time. Here's some Zoloft. I believe Esri Dax was the replacement for Jedzia, was a counselor. Okay, so I'm not super familiar with a lot of DS9 people, so forgive me there. It's she shows up like the last season or two, like literally, like just as the the replacement. So, um, but yeah, it's it's not really uh, in in a Voyager. The funny thing is, is for the counselor eye for for Barkley, Troy made multiple appearances. Yeah, which I'm really glad they got Marina Sirits back to actually do that. So. Uh, and they also had Jonathan Franks in an episode earlier on when Q was in the episode. Yep. So, like, uh, what, what's funny is uh, Jonathan Franks and uh, John Delancey were the only... Well, not even John Delancey. John Delancey was in three Trek series. Uh, Jonathan Franks was in four. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Marina Sirtis was in three uh, as well, uh, if you count the uh, crappy ending to Enterprise. But... <laughs> um but yeah it's it's and picardo he's he's only in this and in technically tng if you count first contact so i mean there's i i love it when there's like a lot of crossover between trek characters um but i i, I thought it was kind of funny when they had his character show up on on first contact when uh the borg were coming in sick bay yeah see it's little moments like that and even still had 
Bob's trademark wit and sarcasm and just it worked. And you could tell that was an earlier version of the EMH too. Yeah, the just, Mark One with the the current uniform. Yeah, it's it's little things like that that I think are nice little touches to the universe. So what what more can be said about the Doctor that we haven't said over the course of the last half hour or so? Um, fantastically written character, a unique character, and according to Star Trek Online, has started a civil rights movement in the Star Trek universe. And I'm glad a character like Joe um, can literally be blazing a trail through the new Star Trek universe to establish new rights and new um, civil responsibilities for an entirely new uh, race of people, be it artificial beings like Data and other uh, robots, androids, or cyborgs, etc., to photonic beings like the Doctor, Mark One, Mark Two, and Joe himself as a unique in individual. So, um, I one guess of, one of the interesting things too. Uh, another thing with Star Trek Online is they had. Uh, and I'm not sure where this is on, on the game. I, I can't remember right now, but uh, it says that uh, new versions of the EMH, the, the Mark Six, serving aboard the USS Kittimer, uh, resembled a Vulcan with silver hair. The EMH in dialogue released uh, on YouTube and not included in the game uh, claims to have a personality matrix that combines qualities of more than 20 physicians, scientists, and counselors, including... Uh, Beverly Crusher, Admiral Spock, or Ambassador Spock, um, somebody from Andoria, and was voiced by Zachary Quinto. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so the, the Star Trek Online has like a lot of the, the photonic characters between medical holograms, uh, uh, engineering holograms, security holograms, uh, duty officers. Like they, they load you up with duty officers. Um, you can get tactical and science. Uh, it's it's just it's it's crazy. I and you get like almost free range to design them. So I like turning them into the original series characters, mm -hmm. uh, just out of fun. <laughs> I've tried to make the Robert Picardo version. It 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 doesn't play out very well because they purposely don't give you the keys to the kingdom there. Because mm -hmm. I would love nothing more than to design them like that. But uh, but yeah, I I've. I've I think that the EMH or, or the Photonic characters are probably the most fun and the most uh, interesting characters in Trek in the sense that uh, they're a program, but they've they've gone so far beyond it, and, and they aren't out to kill you. <laughs> exactly. So um, I guess that's pretty much going to do it for this episode of Future Imperfect. What do you want to talk about uh, next week, Steve? I'm not really sure. Maybe we'll just uh, kind of see what pops up over the next week, and uh, maybe... We'll have some uh, listener suggestions, which they can send to uh, uh, feedback at ussfutureimperfect.com. And uh, we definitely look forward to hearing from you. So I guess for Future Imperfect, we have been... Steve Megatron Phillips. I've been Mike the Birdman Dodd saying live long and prosper. And please state the nature of the medical emergency.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.